You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This year has been a challenging year. I've been challenged in my heart and mind to go deeper with God. Not only personally, but to challenge our church to go deeper as well. It's not enough for us to stand on the outside looking in or to wonder what might be or what could be someday and to dream crazy dreams but to never put our hand to the plow. But if anything, I think God wants us to be about his business, to be about his work. Also, to just focus our attention on going deeper with him. I, think it's, I don't think this is something we can do from the sidelines. I don't think it's something we can do from home. It's something that we can only do is we cooperate and work together as God's church. I also feel like God's calling us to deeper discipleship. That, you know, you may have been a Christian a long time. Uh, probably been a Christian longer than I've been a Christian. Um, but that's not a reason for us to simply take a look at things and go, you know what, I've learned everything there is to learn. I know everything that there is to know, and I can't possibly uh, add anything else to my life because I've already arrived. Um, and if you've already arrived, come disciple me because apparently I need your input. I need your guidance in life because you're like, well, you know, uh, I don't have anything else I could possibly learn. That's just ridiculous. We can always learn something new in the kingdom of God. We can always learn something new about our Savior and go and walk deeper with him. And then there's the other part of it. Say, well, I don't have any time. Listen, we all have the same amount of time. We really do. We only have a certain number of hours in the week. And how we use that is up to us. And how we choose to, what we choose to do with that is within our control. And we can choose to do some things. Uh, if you have a, a uh, like I have an iPhone 11, okay, and one of the things that my iPhone will tell me is how much time per day that I've spent on that thing. It's a wonderful little feature. Sometimes it's a little shocking at times because it'll tell you exactly how long you've been on it. So whenever you say to yourself, okay, I don't have any time to grow deeper. I don't have any time for Bible study. I don't have time to go to the prayer meeting. I don't have time to go to anything else. I would challenge you to look at your phone and see how much time you've been spending on apps. How much time you've been spending on social media? How much time you've been spending texting with your friends or whatever the case might be? And if it says like 8 hours, 59 minutes or 11 hours and 67 minutes or whatever the case might be on your particular phone, then you should know that you have time and you've been spending it different ways. The truth is we'd rather do mindless things than to do mindful things because we'd rather escape the world that we live in to be actively engaged in the world that we live in. And I've been guilty of that myself at times. There are times where you just don't want to deal. Don't want to deal with things that are going on in your life. You don't want to deal with the stresses at work. You may not want to deal with the stresses within your family or just the world that we live in. So what do we do? We escape. Instead of our mindset being the mind of Christ, instead of being mindful, we just choose to engage in mindless things to get our minds off of can I challenge you to go deeper this year? And this year we'll be offering tiers of discipleship in which, you know, if you're brand new to this, we'll be doing a next steps class to teach you the very basics of what it means to be a Christian. You know what happens a lot of times? People are like, I become a Christian and I just kind of put the veneer of Christianity over my habits and what I interpret Scripture to be and what I think things are supposed to be or how I'm supposed to worship. And what ends up happening is we kind of have a, our own version of being a Christian. 
Next steps, that class will help you to know what are the basics of the things I need to know in order to be a successful Christian. We'll be doing an intermediate kind of Bible study, too, to take you a little deeper and to help you go a little bit deeper. And if you've been someone like, you know what, I know everything there is to know about prayer. I've already, I've been part of prayer groups. You know, I've taught on prayer. I don't need to go to that thing. You know what you need? You need to be there to help me is what you need to be. You need to be there to kind of share your stories of answered prayer. You need to be there to share uh, the opportunities that God's given you to pray and how you've seen him come through and to how to work your way through prayers and difficulties and challenges you might face. So you might say, well, I've already learned all there is to know. I can't possibly learn anything else, but you can contribute to the conversation and make things better. So there's a level of discipleship that's available for you. And for those who want to go deeper, for those who want to teach, those who want to lead, I'll be taking some time to personally mentor and disciple you like we did before the pandemic kicked in. It's time to go deeper with God. I believe that God wants you to abide and thrive this year. The title of my message is To Abide and to Thrive. To abide means to live, but to thrive means to produce something. To thrive means that you've kind of hit the sweet spot of your life. If you're doing really well at your job and you're absolutely killing it at your job, you are thriving, but you recognize that your thriving took place because you put effort and work into it. You put effort and work into it to be the best that you could possibly be. Whether that was because you were chasing a commission or because you wanted to rise in the ranks of your company, you had a motivation that had you going for that and you pursued that. No thriving takes place without effort. No thriving, no growth, no personal development, no uh, sense of excellence takes place without thriving. The problem is that we have developed a level of Christianity today and the world that we live in is, that is so consumer-based that we're like, well, if I don't feel like it today, if I don't like it today, then I'm not coming. If, I, if it doesn't appeal to me, if it doesn't interest me, then I'm not going to be there. We've lost touch of what it means to be a New Testament church. We've forsaken it. We've forgotten it. At the time that the world needs it the absolute most, they need a New Testament church to be actively at work in the world today. And instead, we're like, well, who's going to be there? How long is he going to preach? Is he going to yell at me? I don't like the worship, or I've heard that before. May God help us. If we ever hope to do what he wants us to do, instead of chasing our own dreams about being used by God to be some great prophet or evangelist and chasing after those dreams, why don't we see how God can use us in the church that he's placed us in, the church that I believe he's called you to, to do the things that God wants you to do and to be who God wants you to be? Have you ever connected the fact that every time we see the five-fold ministry at work within the church, we've always seen it work in the context of the church? Not just people floating around doing their own thing, hoping that somehow God's will will be revealed to them and someday they'll do what God wants them to do. It's always been in the context of building up the church. So if you want to see what God wants you to do, if you want to see God fulfill what he's called you to do in your various ways and your various giftings, then do it here. And let God show you and lead you. It's like, man, that's an angry pastor up there. No, I'm just tired of this. I want to be about God's kingdom. I want to be about his work. I realize, okay, I'm 48. At some point in time, I'll be too old for you to want to listen to me anymore. 
And I make it to a point where I'm no longer relevant anymore. So I want to seize on this moment while you are here and while you still want to listen to me and you still want to come here. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. How do we abide and thrive in this year? We do so by staying connected with Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 15 in your Bibles. And you can follow along with me on the screen. I just want to say I, I just appreciate you so much for being here and, and coming out and worshiping with us and, and, and being present in the moment. I believe there are things that God can and only will do when we gather together in his name. So for those of you who came today, I want to say thank you. I want to give you a little background, too, as we look at John 16. Contextually here, in chapters 13 through 17, we see Jesus speaking to his disciples. When is he speaking to his disciples? Well, he's speaking to his disciples in the context of the Last Supper. You say, well, Pastor, that's a lot of chapters to cover. If you look at chapter 13, we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet in preparation for the Last Supper. So everything Jesus is about to say to them He's saying to them before he goes to the cross and before he is taken up to his father once again. It is a final preparation of sorts for the work that he has for them to do that is going forward. And he spends chapters 14 through 16 talking about remaining in him and he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit during those times and how the Holy Spirit will help them and and enable them to be what God wants them to be and to use them in powerful ways. But we're going to take a look at chapter 15 for a moment here. And Jesus uses a parable, and a parable is a story, which is usually a metaphor about an idea that Jesus wants to communicate to his disciples. And this metaphor is uh, the vine and the branches. And there are different pictures, too, in this story. He talks about the vine talks about the branches, he talks about a gardener and a vine dresser, and he talks about fruit. And the vine is Jesus. He says, I am the vine. Now, an important thing to understand in, ter- in terms of uh, the Old Testament, the vine always represented the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel would be uh, the means by which the salvation, that salvation would come to the world. And so people were waiting for the Messiah the Christ to come through the nation of Israel to be able to bring salvation to the world. Now, Jesus being the Messiah, being the Christ, has now come into the world, and so the vine is no longer Israel. The vine is Christ. He is the one that has come to become the Savior and Deliverer of the world. Then he talks about the branches. The branches are us. We are the branches. We are those who are connected with Christ by faith. Connected with him by belief in him. The gardener is God the Father. He is the one that comes and he examines the, uh, the branches. He examines the vine to see if there's production, if there's fruit on it. And he is also the one that prunes the vine, that cuts off the unproductive branches, who trims the fruit and harvests the fruit. The fruit are the works of our salvation. The fruit are the things that we produce in and through Christ. So we see this picture here 
of these different pieces that have come together in this story to teach us about the necessity of staying connected with the Lord. Now, let's take a look at John chapter 15, verse 1 through 8 together. So, beginning, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken into you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Underline that. Without me you can do nothing. What do you mean, that I can't do anything whatsoever? No, it means that you can't do anything for the kingdom without him. All your efforts will come to nothing. You can do all the things that you want to do in the world that you live in today and be successful in it, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, if you are not staying connected to him, you won't be able to do anything. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. Verses 7 and 8 are important because they're quoted often. That whatever we ask in the Father's name it shall be done so the Father might be glorified. It's not for just us to be blessed. But the context is always the kingdom work. That whatever you ask in my name, it shall be done so that the Father might be glorified and that you might bear much fruit, lasting fruit, has everything to do with producing good things for the kingdom of God. That in Christ, that you are leading people to salvation, you are discipling them, you are helping them grow, and you are helping them to become who God wants them to be. God will answer prayers that focus around his will and his plan because by doing so, he is glorified and the kingdom goes forward. Now, as one author explained the meaning of this parable, he explained that there are three things that we can look at here. He says that Jesus instructed his disciple on three vital relationships. Three vital relationships. Disciples are to be rightly connected to Jesus, to each other, and to the world. Disciples have three respective duties. To remain, which means to abide, to love each other, and to testify. So there's three parts of this parable, and three points I'm going to make to you, and then I'm going to get out of the way. The first of the one is this. Number one, we need to stay connected with Christ, verses 1 through 8. Stay connected with him. Secondly, we need to stay connected with each other. Like, well, I don't want to be connected with anybody. I don't like people. I kind of like being by myself then you're going to find it really hard to fulfill what Christ wants you to do in the context of this chapter, that we have to be connected with people in order to see growth take place. Thirdly, we need to stay connected to the world we live in. And that's why I think number two and number three are completely under attack in the world we live in today. Number two and number three are like completely off the radar when it comes to being a Christian, it seems. 
is that we could say, you know, I'm going to worship from home. I can worship on my own. I can do stuff by myself. And although that is true, you can worship God in the wilderness of your life. There are some things that are just not going to happen unless you're around people. And so if you think to yourself, well, I'm going to be a good Christian, but I'm not have any interaction with the outside world and no interaction with my brothers and sisters in Christ, you do not understand the New Testament church. And you've allowed yourself to drift away from what the true meaning of being a Christian is. I'm sorry, I, I'm just coming out and saying it. I just am, you know, because we need to understand that like, there are some things that will never take place in your life without the benefit of others around. But if we're still saying, stay away from me, don't talk to me, don't come near me, I'm not going to call anybody, I'm not going to answer anybody's texts, I'm not going to go to a, a study, I'm not going to do any of those things, guess what's going to happen? You are not going to fulfill what it truly means to be a Christian according to Jesus' definition. Let's talk about the first one, staying connected with Christ. You're like, well, pastor, I get that. I understand that I need to be connected with Christ as a Christian. But the Heavenly Father wants to see Jesus' disciples produce fruit. Fruit of a life that has Jesus at its center and is producing good things for the kingdom of God. We need to keep Jesus at the center of everything. It's not politics. It's not our frustration with the world. It's not even what's going on in the culture that we live in. At the center of everything we do has to be a love and a desire to pursue Jesus a love and a desire to, to please him and to serve him. At the end of the day, you don't come here because I, I'm clever or because I'm sharp-dressed or even because of one thing or the other because your parents came here or you've been here 13 to 15 years. You don't come here for that. At least you, I would hope you don't. But that you come here because I come here because I want to honor Christ. I come here because I want to honor Jesus. I want to worship the Lord and show him kindness and love and praise him for all the good things he's done in your life. That's my hope, that you would love Jesus that much. And in the times that we've been living in the last couple of years, we've been so focused on everything else, whether it be the political climate, whether it be the frustrations with the world that we live in, the medical environment, whatever the case that might be, uh, interactions with each other where we disagree on things. We've gotten so caught up on those things. Can I ask you today, do you still love Jesus? Do you still love him? When you think of him, does your heart still fill with joy? When you think of him and all the goodness that he's shown to you, are you grateful and are you thankful? If you haven't, if it kind of doesn't move the needle or if it doesn't change the meter at all, you've got to do a heart check in those moments and say, God, I've gotten away from you. I've gotten away from what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. It starts and it begins with loving him. And everything that we have in that flows from him. So we're connected with Christ. We bear the name Christian. But then the Father comes and he examines the vine. He examines those who are connected with Christ. And the interesting picture here is that he prunes the branches that has fruit because fruit must be harvested in season. Have you thought about that? We're like, okay, he, he removes the fruit so that there can be more fruit. But have you ever thought about why he's removing the fruit? He's removing the fruit because that's what you do in the harvest. 
You gather it so it can be a blessing to others. If harvest time comes and the fruit's not removed from the tree, it actually rots on the vine. If you've ever been apple picking, you know what it is to go during the height of apple picking, and you know what it is to go at the end of apple picking season. You know, there's bruised apples, there's apples that are rotting on the vine, uh, on the tree itself, there's uh, bugs inside of the apple, and you're like, well, this was a wasted trip because I came towards the end of the season because they weren't harvested or picked at the time that they needed to be picked at. God wants us to produce fruit in season that uh, matches our devotion to the Lord. And so he uh, picks it to be harvested. The other reason that he does this is so that uh, more fruit may be produced. If you're trimming a tree, you trim the parts that are productive so they'll produce more. Uh, How are we to understand this passage? Many have debated the meaning over the years. But we should understand, to help us with this understanding, we should explain what it means to abide in Christ. To abide means to live and to dwell in Christ. This is not about being loosely connected with Jesus. It's not about being sort of connected with Jesus. Indeed, there were many followers of Jesus when he walked this earth. There was a point in time where he had 4,000 people who thought it was the best thing ever. You know, there are people that would go to where he was. You know, he feeds 5,000. Another crowd shows up. He feeds 4,000. And eventually people are kind of following him around because they know that when Jesus gets together and he's teaching for a really long time, there's probably lunch involved afterwards. At a certain point, he calls them out. He says, you're just following me for the bread. You're just following me for these things that I do. And you know what? His crowd went from like thousands down to 12. People said they had a tough time with his teaching. Why? Because he called out what they were really there for. They were really there for what they could get from Jesus. There was no devotion. There was no conviction. There was no loyalty to him. They were only looking for what he could give them in that moment. Some followed him for the miracles. Some followed him because they thought that he was going to be a king and they had political ambitions for him. And when he didn't meet those things, people kind of wandered away from him. Those who were loosely connected with him didn't have any outward show of faith. The moment Jesus no longer offered what they wanted, they abandoned him. But those who were truly his disciples were identified by these characteristics. They loved Jesus They obeyed his commands, and they worked for his kingdom to produce fruit. Uh, Signs of life versus signs of dying on the vine. Notice the difference between the two types of branches. One is fruitful and vibrant, and the other one withers, produces no fruit, and is disconnected from the vine. Withering takes place when the branch is no longer connected to the source of life. This is when an individual is no longer connected with Christ and in their life becomes complacent, stagnant, producing nothing of value. A better way to describe this would be people who are nominal Christians. People who claim to follow Jesus but don't really follow him. You can be a Christian, well, I listen to The Q, or I listen to K-Love, and I like bumper stickers, and I like inspirational ideas, and, you know, I like going to church, you know, once every three months. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll listen to something, an inspirational uh, message on the radio, whatever the case might be. But are you truly 
plugged into being with the Savior on a daily basis? Are you plugged into a church in which you're not only uh, growing and being fed, but you're being challenged? I think the last few weeks, I'm surprised you're still here sometimes. Because sometimes I've been challenging you. I've, I've been very confrontational from this pulpit. Because I just feel as though in my heart that we just need to be about what he wants us to do and not waste any time doing that anymore. He doesn't want nominal Christians. He doesn't want part-time believers. He doesn't want people that kind of say, okay, well, I used to do that. Or it's like when you fill out on a resume and sometimes you embellish a little bit maybe on your resume. You used to work in the mailroom, but instead you put down on your resume that you're you know, a uh, male distribution specialist or whatever the case might be. You embellish. And, like, God wants you to be here. He wants you to be connected. He doesn't just want members of Living Hope Church. In three weeks, we're gonna, two or three weeks, we're going to have an annual business meeting here. That the only time, my hope is that the only time you wouldn't come would just be for meetings where we talk about carpet and paint on walls. But that we talk about the kingdom work that God wants us to do in the season that we're living in right now. Verse 6, there's a stunning visual that of the, uh, the gardener, the heavenly father, coming and pruning branches that are dead and that are not producing anything and casting them into the fire. That's a really vivid picture right there. It's a picture of God's judgment separating those who true, do not truly believe from those who do. On the day of judgment, those who believe will be with Christ forever and eternity And those who do not believe in Christ and have not lived for him will not have the benefit of being with God in eternity. They'll be forever separated from God. Signs of life in a Christian is they have a love for Jesus, they obey him, and they're doing things for him. Going to church alone is not it. Jesus did not die on the cross for you to go to church. He did not empower the early church with the Holy Spirit so you could sit in church and enjoy the music or not enjoy the music or like the sermon and not like the sermon. He didn't do that. My goodness, if that's what he died for, if that's what he he established his kingdom for, then we better just close the doors now because we'll always have some mediocre, garbage-level church that will be always kind of just mediocre, will always be just kind of okay. And I don't know about you, I don't want that. I want the best of what God has for us. He didn't save us for just to go to church. He saved us to serve him and to bring about his kingdom. Church is not the end, it's the beginning. The church is is a place for you to connect, grow, and serve the Lord. The church is a launching pad, not a holding pattern. But sadly, many can't even do the go to church thing. That's the beginning, not the ending. It's not the, it's, it's not the be-all and end-all. Church is not the be-all and end-all of what we're doing. Church is only the beginning of what God wants to do. It began in his church. It started in the book of Acts. It went through the entire then-known world because people were excited about the kingdom and had a message of that power, and it changed lives because of it. Yet in, in the America we live in today, people can't even make it to church for one reason or another. Let's look at the second part of this parable. Staying connected with Christ is one thing, but staying connected with one another. Let's look at verses 9 through 17. Are you still with me or are you tired of me yelling at you? Okay, there's two of you that are glad. The rest are like, when is he going to be done with this message? 
The second part is this. Let's take a look at verses 9 through 17. It says, As the fathers loved me, I also have loved you. Abide or remain or live in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all the things that I heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give you. These things I command you to love one another. So the second idea is staying connected with one another. Notice the command that Jesus gave them was to love one another. A command we can only follow if we're interacting with each other. I want you to think about that for a minute. Can you really love somebody and never see them? I love my wife. Honey, I'm only going to see you every three weeks for an hour and a half. But I love you, and you mean the world to me. Now, that sounds ridiculous to you, doesn't it? It's like, I love you. You mean everything to me. My whole world is you. But I'm only going to see you every three weeks for an hour and a half. I said, Pastor, that's ridiculous. How can you express love that, that way? I hope you're getting the metaphor here. Is if you love Jesus, if you follow him and you serve him, don't show up every three weeks for an hour and a half and say, he's everything to me. That I, I love him and that I would give my life for him when you can't even get out of bed on a cold day where there's only five inches of snow on the ground. I'm sorry, I'm fired up. I need to repent. Lord, help me today. But I'm just really just, I want you to know that he didn't save us so that we could just sit around and just wait for the rapture to happen or wait for his return. He wants us to be about his business. The picture, I want you to think about the pictures of of, of the body of Christ in the scriptures, the, the church. In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we see a picture of Christ and his church. It's a picture with many, with, uh, of a body with many parts to it, each member being a different part, carrying out a different function. And at its head is Jesus, the one who directs it and moves it where he wants it to go. He is over his church, and he is the guiding force behind his church. To be disconnected from the church is to be disconnected from the head, which is Christ. Simply put, you cannot stay connected with Christ and connected with the body without interaction. Fellowship takes place in community with other people. Serving takes place when you touch the lives of other people. Evangelism can only take place when you're interacting with people. There are just some things that you can't do in isolation. Yes, you can study. Yes, you can grow. Yes, you can worship. But how many know that's not just the only thing that the church is supposed to do? That's not that's the only thing that a Christian's supposed to do. That we are to serve one another. That we are to love one another. That we are to reach those who don't know Jesus with the message of Christ. And we can't do that in isolation. 
In the Old Covenant, three times a year, the men of Israel would present themselves before the Lord. They were commanded to do this according to the law. Even Jesus did this. He would show up for the Feast of Passover in the spring, the Feast of Pentecost, which was a harvest feast uh, 50 days after Passover, and then they have the Feast of Tabernacles. Men were required to show up and be there. It was part of being a Jewish man. They had to make their pilgrimage and present themselves before the Lord. Attending the synagogue was part of Jewish life. In order to be part of the community meant that you and your family went to synagogue. And if you were excommunicated from the synagogue if you were kicked out of the synagogue then you were kicked out of community life people would shun you and not interact with you now please i'm not asking us to be mennonites here in case you're worried about it, it's like are you saying we should shun the people that didn't show up today no i'm not saying that at all i just want you to understand what the synagogue meant to the community of jewish people that it was their life that they worked with each other. They employed each other with jobs. They uh, interacted with each other. Their families would marry one another. They were all part of a community together. And if you weren't in the community, if you weren't in the synagogue, then you weren't in the community. Jesus establishes his church on the day of Pentecost. Miraculous, amazing things take place on the day of Pentecost. And, and people are drawn to the church. And it says that the church met every day. In the temple courts, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer. And they did all these things. They saw God grow their church as a result of that. There was a daily devotion to him. There was an interaction that was taking place with them. When Jesus established his church, he did it with the intention that they would abide and thrive. That they would abide and thrive. I want you to think about that today. So we need to stay connected with each other. He says, I want you to love one another. But how can we love one another if we don't check on each other? We say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm concerned about going out. I'm concerned about getting sick. I have elderly. That's okay, I understand. But are you interacting with other people while you're at home? Are you texting people? Are you calling other believers? Are you interacting with them? Are you participating with them? Because just me talking at you this morning is not enough. Just you worshiping on your own is just not enough. But we need to, as iron sharpens iron, as one man sharpens another, so we need to be interacting with each other to grow. Because honestly, we can get some pretty interesting ideas in our own way when we study the scriptures just on our own. Like, well, I come to this conclusion. And then you talk to somebody, and then they tell you how crazy that sounds. Or the, someone who is actually versed in the word can say, you know, that's an interesting idea, but here's actually what the scriptures mean by that. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need each other to be able to keep each other in balance. We need each other for mutual encouragement and for when we're discouraged. If you're discouraged, it's the body of Christ that should lift you up, carry you, pray for you, encourage you. That's what we should be doing for each other. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Love one another. That's his command to us. You ever try and love someone without seeing anybody? I know you love your family, you only see them like three times a year, and it's easy to do because they're so far away, and you don't have to see them all the time, but loving people that are around you all the time is hard. Sometimes loving your spouse is hard. Sometimes loving your kids is hard. Sometimes loving your extended family is hard. And yes, I'll be honest, there's sometimes where loving people in this church might be hard for you. 
Like, I love that guy. That guy's so awesome. He's so funny. But that person over there is annoying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that there are times where we don't always love one another. There's times where we're, we're not always loving towards one another. But it's a command that Jesus gave us, and it's a command that can only be done when we're together. So we need to stay connected with Christ, stay connected with one another, and then thirdly, to stay connected with the world we live in, verses 18 through 27. I'm not going to read all those verses, but Jesus basically explains to them in those verses that the world that they live in is going to be a difficult place, a place that would hate them for being a Christian. But he didn't tell them to go run away and hide. He told them to go out and testify about him to the world. And that they wouldn't just be alone in doing it, but that the Holy Spirit would help them. And that the church would be the vehicle by which Christ accomplishes his mission in the world. Take a look at verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15 with me. It said, but when the helper comes... I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So he says, I want you to tell others about me. I want you to testify to the world. I want you to share it with people. And even if you're at home and you're saying, you know, it's tough for me to go out. I'm worried about going out. I have to be careful because of different things. You can still reach out to people. You could still call, text, email, whatever the case might be. Stay connected with fellow believers. Reach out to people who are not Christians. I hope you have some people that you know that aren't Christians. As much as I love hanging out with Christians, there's times where we've got to hang out with people who aren't and interact with friends who aren't Christians. And they'll challenge you about what you believe. And rather than just kind of avoid them because they ask challenging questions, Why don't you let it sharpen your skills to be able to answer those questions? Or when you're interacting with them, you know, just having them enjoy your company. I've got a really good friend of mine who's not a Christian, but we we caught up after a couple of months, and we talked for like an hour and a half, and we just laughed. We enjoyed each other's company, and, you know, it was life-giving to the both of us. It can be that way with non-Christians. They're not all scary, Okay. Interact with them. Go out of your way to be a part of them. Listen, as we get older, it's easier to just be with people that are like us. When you get out of school, when you're going to high school and college, you're, you're around people, you have to be around people. When you go to work and you're in your job, you, you have to be around different people. But when you retire, you're like, I don't have to be around anybody. Right? You don't have to be around anybody unless you want to be around anybody. And sometimes you're just like, I just can't be bothered. Right? I've got my family, got the one or two lifelong friends I've always known, but like, I don't, I don't need to interact with anybody. But yet there's this part of it where we're supposed to stay connected with the world we live in because we're someone that is to testify to the truth. But if we lose our connection to the church, we lose our connection to Christ. You can be a Christian all by yourself without the church, but church is created so that you would be used by God to reach the world that we live in. And remember in verse 8 when Jesus said to them that he desires that they bear much fruit, that bearing fruit would be 
showing that they're his disciples. What kind of fruit is he speaking about? Well, I think there's two things, two meanings here, and you can write these down. What is he talking about when he says fruit? I think first one is the fruit of the Spirit. And if you look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But that fruit can't be produced in a vacuum. That fruit cannot be produced in isolation. While it's true that some of these things can be done with the absence of human interaction, the majority of them can't. The fruit of the Spirit is grown through love and connection and interaction. Just look at them. All these fruits involve somebody else. Think about it. Love. Love needs a giver and a recipient. Kindness. Kindness needs a giver and a recipient. Patience needs testing in the presence of other people. Hallelujah. How, how do you develop patience? Patience usually involves someone or something that's making you wait. Someone or something that's making things take time. How do you develop patience? You have to be around things that test your patience. Well, I don't like that. Then he talks about gentleness. He says, you know, scriptures tell us that our gentleness must be evident to all. How can your gentleness be evident to all if you're never seeing anybody? If you're never interacting with anybody? Fruit is meant to be grown. It's meant to be shared. And it's meant to be enjoyed. So in order for the fruit of the Spirit, where God's Holy Spirit is at work in your life producing these things, there has to be someone else who is the recipient of this. It's not like you just grow things in your basement with the grow lamps and no one else gets to enjoy them but you. These are fruits that are meant to be shared, meant to be developed in your life, and they're only developed when you interact with other people and they're meant to be shared with people outside of just yourself. Sometimes fruit is sharing joy and rejoicing with those who rejoice. But you can only do that through connection. The fruit of the Spirit is grown in and through our experiences with with others. It is grown through interaction with each other. It's grown through fellowship and friendship in the Lord. Listen, my goodness, I love, like, the fact that I came from a church growing up that even, like, 40 years later, they still call each other. They still talk to each other. They still interact with each other. Just had a dear friend pass away a couple weeks ago unexpectedly from a heart attack. He was like a father figure in our church. Big usher guy, you know, with a heart of gold, with just uh, so much love in his heart. Used to uh, dress up as Santa Claus for Christmas so that you know, kids could enjoy being Santa Claus. And he looked like Santa Claus. He really did. But he passed away, and like everyone felt the weight of his passing. Why? Because he was such a loving man. He cared for people, loved everybody in the church, prayed for people in the church, wept with people in the church. And I feel like in many ways, churches lost that. We don't know what that is. It's like a bygone error in a way that the church is meant to be family and to be loving and to be concerning for each other so that we can say, you know, years down the road, that person was a big part of my life. They mentored me or they were a blessing to me and we feel their absence when they're gone. We're meant to be in fellowship and friendship with each other in the Lord. 
when we gather together and talk about the Lord, when we study his word, when we pray for each other and work together for God's kingdom, we are drawn together in a way that couldn't be if we didn't have that. When we neglect that, we're not gonna see fruit that we wanna see in our life. You need to be in a place where you're interacting with each other and other believers so that you can grow in the fruits God's given you. So the fruit of the Spirit, that's the first thing. The second thing is the fruit of their labor. Listen, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The context is that you are to do something. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not that you can't do anything in your life. In other words, you can't do anything for me without me. And so often we try and do God's things without his help. We have plans for our life that we never even consider to ask God about. Decisions that we need to make that we don't even pray about. We just say, this is what I'm deciding because that seems best to us. But when we are involving God in the decisions of our life, we are letting him be part of it. And then when he's part of it, he blesses it. He does things that you didn't expect. There are plans for my future and my family's future that I don't know how that's ever going to get funded. You ever been there? You're like, okay, we hope to send kids to college. We hope to retire someday. And you look at your life like, I don't know how that's going to happen. But then you say, okay, God, you know the number of my days. You know the hairs on my head. You know my future and you know the plans that you have for me. God, what do you want me to do? And let God be the one that ordains it, directs it, pays for it, and provides for it. He's the one that does that. He's the one that can. Apart from me, he can do nothing. He wanted his disciples to do something, not sit around and do nothing. It was Jesus who commissioned them to go and make disciples, to go and bear fruit, the fruits of salvation, the fruits of harvest, to bring in those who have not yet heard and to help them to believe and to receive salvation. But Jesus told them they would need the Holy Spirit to help them. The Holy Spirit would tell them what to say and when to say it. And sometimes when not to say anything. Amen? (laughs) That fruit of the Spirit to kind of sometimes seal your lips shut. The work of the Spirit, so you don't say the stupid thing that comes to your mind that's like right here. Listen, God gave each of us a brain. He gave each of us a mouth, but some of us need that Holy Spirit filter between the two. says, you know, I could get in trouble for this. Not because it's wisdom, not because it's Scripture, but because it was a dumb thing to say and you said it the wrong way. Oh, that's persecution. No, you're being stupid. You say stupid things, you're going to get persecuted. You say things that are biblically true, you are going to get persecuted too, but the reasoning is different. It's not because you're being a jerk, not because you're saying dumb things, not because you were being thoughtless or careless, it's because you are speaking the truth. When you abide with Christ and you walk with him, he wants to be with you and in you to be able to accomplish the work of his kingdom. If they didn't stay connected to him, they would only be trying to do it in their own power. It would be met with utter failure. Listen, when you're trying to do things in your own strength, especially as you get older, you don't have as much strength as you used to. You certainly don't have as much energy as you used to. Like you guys say, I remember a comedian once, is like, you know, when you're younger and uh, you played football and you got injured, and you say, okay, I recover from that injury. And then as you get older, you go, oh, that's that football injury. 
that's coming up again when the weather gets cold or when it rains. So it's from that injury, and so I feel that. Now you get to a point when you're so old that you were watching people play football, and you get hurt. Like, that's how, that's how old you are, where you're like, you weren't doing anything, and you've, you've gotten hurt. Or you were just doing what you think you could manage to do, and you don't have the energy for it, and you need to go lay down at 3 o'clock in the afternoon because you're tired. So when it comes to our own energy enthusiasm, like even my enthusiasm for the things of God right now, I'm very enthusiastic about it. But talk to me in six months. Talk to me in nine months after I've experienced some discouragement along the way. When I've been trying to pump you guys up to do something, you're like, eh, no. You know what I mean? So my own enthusiasm will only take me so far. Your own energy and your own desire will only take you so far. But when God is in it, when he's working in you, when the love of God, the scriptures say that the the love of Christ compels us. When, When that's working in us, when the spirit of God is working in us, like it will strengthen us and quicken our mortal bodies, not only for healing, but for doing the work of the Lord. How many times have we read in scripture where, you know, Old prophets are running ahead of chariots because the Spirit of God hit them and off they go. Right? So you're like, well, I've done that. You know, listen, I I used to do that, Pastor. I was very involved in my last church. I was very active in my last church, but I'm kind of done with that now. You may be done with that and you may be older, but listen, the, the work God wants to do in and through you is never done. He's never done with you. So we have to rest in his strength and his energy, and his motivation. If we don't, it'll be met with failure. It's like having power tools and trying to use them without plugging them in. You know, great power tools. There's some fun power tools out there. But if you have no power source for them, it's just a fancy orange cord and some orange equipment that's not going to do a whole lot of anything. But you need a source to tap into. A source where you keep going and not give up. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, which is really me and Diane. But let's <laughs> praise the Lord. But you know what? The other thing I think about too as we prepare our hearts to just worship the Lord one last time is to understand that the Father goes about pruning the things that need to be pruned. And he cuts off the things that are unproductive so that we can be productive. He prunes the things that don't belong. He says, you know, you are already clean because the words made you clean. And I just want you to think for a moment here as, as we get ready to sing. We're not going to sing yet, but I just, I just want you to think about this. So what is the thing that God needs to prune out of your life to be productive? What is the thing that he wants to remove so that you can be more fully devoted to him? Because sometimes we're still trying to be productive and fruitful. And meanwhile, as we look at the plant of our life and the branch of our life, sometimes it's It's got some rotten spots in it. Sometimes it has some things that are unappealing. 
but we're still trying to do it and pretend like there's nothing there. But the truth is we need the, the gardener to come and to clip off the things that are unproductive, to cleanse us so that we can bear fruit, lasting fruit, fruit that remains. Jesus didn't save us so that we could produce sour, tasteless fruit. Things that look like apples, but they're crab apples. Things that look like grapes, but they're sour. That's how it is when we're trying to do God's work and we've got dual citizenship of this world, but also of heaven as well because we're trying to live two lives. My prayer is today that you would allow God to prune some of the things out of your life that need to be pruned out of it. Maybe the Lord is going to speak to you right now about some things that need to be removed. Some secret sins, some things that are not pleasing to him, some attitudes that aren't right. Maybe it's some things that you gave up on, but he didn't tell you to, to give up on. Scriptures tell us to present ourselves as living sacrifices holy and blameless unto God. Sacrifice means I need to give some things up. Sacrifice is yourself. You're giving yourself to God. Say, God, whatever you want, whatever you need me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever I need to take out of my life, Lord God, I'm going to do it because, Lord, I realize time is short. Jesus said, anyone who comes after me must take up their cross and follow me. The disciples, when they heard that, they know what that meant. That meant dying to their self, their desires, their own ambitions, and following after Jesus. So what does God want to prune away in your life? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Maybe there's something that he wants you to work on that you've kind of been avoiding and pretending is not there. I don't know about you. I want to be in a place where I'm removing that stuff and letting him remove it now rather than stand before him on the day of judgment and realize I was just a follower in name only. So let's pray. So Father, I just ask today that you would just help us. Lord, those that were gathered here this morning, Lord God, I pray today that you would speak to people's hearts, that you'd work in their lives, Lord God. Lord, whatever it is that they need to cut out of their life, Lord God, anything that's sinful, wrong, or displeasing to you, Lord God, I pray that they would just remove it, Lord. Let your spirit speak to them even now about what needs to change. I pray today, Lord God, that you would help them, Lord God, to ask for your forgiveness. And we do that right now, Lord. We ask you for your forgiveness for that which we've done wrong. We repent of wrong actions, wrong attitudes, wrong behaviors, and we commit ourselves fully once again to you, Lord. Work in our hearts and lives. Raise your church up to be your, Lord God, kingdom workers, 
Help us to be about your business, Lord God. Help us to be connected with you, connected with others, and connected with the world that doesn't know you. Move in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.